Hello, and welcome to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I am your host, Mr. Miller. This podcast will cover a number of topics that happened on this date in history. Please visit the podcast webpage at thishappentoday.buzzsprout.com. There you can download the notes page, which will help you organize the information, as well as develop your own ideas on how these events change the world around us. If you're interested in hearing more, please consider subscribing so you will not miss out on what happens tomorrow in history. Today is April 28th. In 1947, Kon Tiki, a balsa wood raft captained by Norwegian anthropologist Thor Heyerdahl, competed, completed a 4,300-mile, 100-wind-day journey from Peru to Roria in the Tamadu Archipelago near Tahiti. Heyerdahl wanted to prove his theory that prehistoric South Americans could have colonized the Polynesian islands by drifting on ocean currents. Heyerdahl and his five-person crew set sail from Cayo, Peru, on the 45-foot-long Kontiki on April 28th of 1947. The Kontiki, named for a mythical white chieftain, was made of indigenous materials and designed to resemble rafts of early South American Indians. While crossing the Pacific, the sailors encountered storms, sharks, and whales before finally washing ashore at Roria. Heyerdahl was born in Lur- Larvik, Norway, on October 6th of 1914, believed that Polynesians' earliest inhabitants had come from South America, a theory that conflicted with popular scholarly opinion that the original settlers arrived from Asia. Even after a successful voyage, anthropologists and historians continued to discredit Heyerdahl's belief. However, his journey captivated the public, and he wrote a book about the experience that became an international bestseller and was translated into 65 languages. Heyerdahl also produced a documentary about the trip that won an Academy Award in 1951. Heyerdahl made his first expedition to Polynesia in 1937. He and his first wife lived primarily on Fatuhiva in the Marquesas Islands for a year and studied plant and animal life. The experience led him to believe that humans had first come to the islands aboard primitive vessels drifting on ocean currents from the east. Following the Kontiki expedition, Heyerdahl made archaeological trips to such places as the Galapagos Islands, Easter Island, and Peru, and continued to test his theories about how travels across the seas played a major role in the migration patterns of ancient cultures. In 1970, he sailed across the Atlantic from Morocco to Barbados in a reed boat named Ra II after Ra, the Egyptian sun god, to prove that Egyptians could have connected with the pre-Columbian Americans. In 1977, he sailed the Indian Ocean in a primitive reed ship built in Iraq to learn how prehistoric civilizations in Mesopotamia, the Indus Valley, and Egypt might have connected. While Heyerdahl's work was never embraced by most scholars, he remained a popular figure and was voted Norwegian of the century in his homeland. He died at the age of 87 on April 18, 2002 in Italy. The raft from his famous 1947 expedition is housed in the Kontiki Museum in Oslo, Norway. Back in the 1930s, a blockbuster movie was made which reappears almost every year on the Christmas TV schedule. It tells a tale, which is in fact a true story, about the famous mutiny that took place in 1789 on an English ship. The exact cause of the mutiny is unclear, but the captain's harsh and brutal treatment of his men has been offered as a possible explanation. That said, conditions on board ships those days were very hard. The ship was HMS Bounty and the captain won William Bly. William Bly was born in Plymouth on September 9th of 1754 and joined the Navy as a young man aged 15. He had a colorful career and was personally selected by Captain James Cook to be the sailing master of the Resolution on his second voyage around the world between 1772 and 1774. 
He saw service in many naval battles in 1781-82, and in late 1787 he was chosen by Sir Joseph Banks to command HMS Bounty. To the men of the Bounty, Bly was a harsh and cruel taskmaster, and Chief Mate Fletcher Christian became, as did the other members of the crew, increasingly mutinous over the course of their journey. The Bounty, has, the bounty had orders to collect breadfruit trees from Tahiti and take them to the West Indies as a food source for the African slaves there. Tahiti was a beautiful place, and when the time came to leave the island, the crew were understandably reluctant to say their, their goodbyes. For it appeared the crew had be, been beguiled by the charms of the Tahitian women. Apparently, Tahiti is not called the friendly island for nothing, which made the harsh conditions of the bounty doubly difficult to stomach. In April of 1789, a mutiny involving many of the sailors took place. The ringleader was Fletcher Christian. The result of this was that Captain Bly and 18 of his loyal crew members were put into an open boat and set adrift in the Pacific by the mutineers. He may have been a tyrant on board ship, but Captain Bly was a brilliant seaman. After a journey of almost 4,000 miles in an open boat, Bly brought his men safely to shore in Timor in the West Indies or East Indies. Quite a staggering feat of navigation considering they had been set adrift without charts. It is not known what happened to the ship bounty after the mutineers reached Pitcairn Island in the South Pacific in 1790. It is known, however, that a little later some of the mutineers returned to Tahiti, to Tahiti and were captured and punished for their crimes. The ones that stayed on Pitcairn Island formed a small colony and remained free under the leadership of John Adams. It is not clear what happened to Fletcher Christian. It is thought that he, along with three of the other mutineers, may have been killed by the Tahitians. Meanwhile, Captain Bly prospered, and in 1805, he was appointed governor of New South Wales in Australia. However, his strict discipline again proved difficult for people to accept, and his policy of preventing the importation of liquor provoked the Rum Rebellion, yet another mutiny then. Bly was arrested, this time by mutinous soldiers, and kept in custody until February of 1809 before being sent back to England in 1810. Not that this ended his illustrious career, he was made an admiral in 1814. He died on December 7th of 1817 in London. And finally, in 2010, the Obama administration gave the go-ahead today to America's first offshore wind farm in the Nantucket Sound, overcoming nearly a decade of resistance from the Kennedy clan and other famous denizens of the favorite holiday destination of America's liberal elite. The announcement provides a much-needed boost for President Obama's green energy credentials in the week that proposed climate change laws were rele relegated down the agenda. And the Gulf of Mexico oil rig disaster highlighted the potential dangers of any expansion of nearshore drilling. The Cape Wind product will, project will comprise 130 turbines that are expected to generate 75% of the electricity for Cape Cod and nearby islands like Martha's Vineyard. It could trigger a major expansion in America's use of wind power, which currently generates only 2% of supply. Announcing the decision of Boston, the Interior Secretary Ken Salazar said this will be the first of many projects up and down the Atlantic coast as we build a new energy future. Cape Wind is the opening of a new chapter. The U.S. will once again lead the world on technology. He acknowledged the, acknowledged the path to approval had not been easy, but said it had been examined at all levels and on all sides. He promised future decision-making on wind farms should be streamlined. Opponents to the project had argued the pristine waters of Nantucket Sound, home to whales and seabirds, was an unsuitable spot for a wind farm, and that it should be sited further offshore. They argued that the 440-foot towers would interfere with local aircraft, complete, complicate ferry services, and crowd out local fishermen. 
The turbines, as near as five kilometers to shore, would also intrude on two submerged Indian burial grounds and wreck the views from the dunes of Cape Cod. But reviews by 17 state and federal agencies, as well as two environmental impact records, found little of concern. The Cape Wind Project had also encountered strong local opposition led by the late Ted Kennedy, who, was, who used to sail in the Nantucket Sound. The solid block of opposition from the Kennedys, even from the environmentalist Robert Kennedy Jr., made Cape Wind a tricky project for Democrats. Even John Kerry, the Massachusetts senator, leading the push for climate and energy legislation in the Senate, hesitated to come out for the project. The Koch family, the reclusive owners of private oil company, who have homes in the area, also funded a lobbying campaign against the project. However, Mark Rogers, a spokesman for Cape Wind, said that after facing down 11 previous court challenges, the developers were now confident in finally going ahead. The favorable decision will really help kick the door open on a whole new industry in this country of offshore renewables, Rogers said. Just thinking practically, I think Cape Wind is the one offshore wind project that could actually be built and commissioned during the Obama administration. It's going to have big impact on how much will get done on their watch, actually putting steel into water and putting people to work. The run-up to today's decision had been seen as a test of the Obama administration's commitment to its green agenda. Obama has put energy security at the heart of his presidency, arguing that reducing America's reliance on imported oil would create jobs and secure future prosperity. He has made a point of visiting wind turbine and battery manufacturers around the country as well as solar farms. In a visit to a wind turbine blade manufacturer in Iowa on Tuesday, he said, If we pursue our full potential for wind energy and everything goes right, wind could generate as much as 20% of America's electricity 20 years from now. But Obama has also frustrated environmentalists by proposing 60, $36 billion in loan guarantees for the nuclear industry and expanding offshore drilling in the Gulf of Mexico and off the Atlantic coast. The White House compounded that anger this week by shifting its legislative to-do list from climate change to immigration, scuttling six months of work by senators to draft a compromise to energy and global warming bill. You have been listening to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I thank you for listening, and I hope that you have enjoyed learning about historical events from the past. Thank you to the following websites for their information regarding today's topics. ThePeopleHistory.com Contiki Expedition at History.com Tahiti's Mutiny on the Bounty at Historic-UK.com and Cape Wind Offshore Wind Farm at TheGuardian.com the music used as the background track for this podcast is Americana, created by Kevin McLeod on Incompetech.com. If you enjoyed this information and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing, as this will keep the historical events in your feed in the morning for each day. I hope you have a great day. <laughs>